0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to How to College First Gen, our podcast where we get together over some coffee and have some real conversations about what it's like to be a first-generation college student. If you're a new listener, our goal here is to democratize information that we've gained along the way, learn a bit more about the first-gen experience, and hopefully help others going through some of the same challenges that we've gone through by sharing lessons from our fellow first-gens. I'm Dan, one of the new co-hosts for How to College First Gen. I recently graduated from the University of Pennsylvania, and I currently work for Minds Matter New York City as a program assistant. Today, I'll be interviewing one of our board members, Irma Munez, who is a chief operating officer for Idea Public Schools down in Houston, Texas. With that, let's dive in. Hi Irma, it's so great to have you on our podcast. Can you briefly introduce yourself?
1: Hi, Danielle, So nice to be here with you. Um, My name is Irma Munoz. I am the Chief Operating Officer for IDEA Public Schools, a network of 120 schools throughout the state of Texas and Louisiana, soon to be in Florida, Arkansas, and Ohio. And I'm so excited to be here with you.
0: Thank you for sharing. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Did you have any values growing up?
1: Sure. Um, I was born and raised in the land of tequila and home of the mariachi bands, Guadalajara, Jalisco. Um, that is where I grew up um, and um, was uh, raised with the values that have carried me to this day. Uh, but when I was in high school, uh, my father immigrated to the United States and made the really difficult decision um, to bring his family um, to the San Francisco Bay Area. And I say difficult because uh, at that time, uh, my mom and my dad um, didn't know anything about um, living in a foreign country. All they had in their mind was they wanted a better life for their kids. Uh, They were in their 40s. They were full-fledged adults. And it's not until now that I'm an adult myself that I recognize how difficult that decision was for them, Um, you know, back, you know, 20-some years ago. Uh, We came to this country um, with the sole purpose Of getting a great education uh, because my father knew that that was the key to a better life. So, from the very beginning, he wanted to make sure that um, we took advantage of everything that this country has to offer. To him, the American dream was tangible and was attainable, and he was not going to give up until his kids a taste of it. So my early life in particular was formed around my father and my mother's vision um, for what they wanted for us. And the values that um, I have currently uh, are the result of what I saw them do every single day, the hard work, the perseverance, the grit, um, the um undeniable stick-to-itiveness um, that carried them through, um, irrespective of what setback they encountered. And immigrating to the United States is really tough because back then um, I didn't speak a lick of English, nor um, was I uh, part of a heterogeneous community back home. Everyone was Mexican from Jalisco, where I grew up. Unlike the high school uh, that um, I enrolled in uh, where there were students from all over the world. Um, So learning English, adjusting to uh, a very different environment, and um, sticking to um, this goal that that my parents had uh, for all of us to go to college was a really um, difficult, all-encompassing, overwhelming, scary um, thing that my siblings and I did. But so glad, so glad that my dad and my mom uh, pushed us in the right direction.
0: Wow, it sounds like you're managing a lot. Can you share a little bit more about some of the challenges you faced along the way?
1: Ay, Dios mio. So where do I start? I'm... I think that um, there were many. So let me just focus on a couple. Um, I think the first time uh, I remember being afraid of school was when my father walked into the front office and asked um, the principal um, to pull me out of ESL classes. Um, That's where I was originally enrolled because I didn't speak any English, But my dad um, wanted me um, to begin interacting with kids that spoke English right away because he believed that speaking English and forcing yourself to speak English was the best way to learn. Uh, And I remember um, the fight between my dad and um, my principal um, as a defining moment um, because I knew that um, my dad would be advocating uh, for my success um, every single day, no matter what it was. But I also learned very quickly um, that if I didn't swim, I was going to sink. So um, I think God was placed in a classroom with um, a teacher uh, that um, befriended me. Uh, Miss Lockett, I wish to this day that I could find her to thank her because she, um, more than any other person that has had an impact in my life, um, was defining in um, in her in her help and her direction. She um, knew that I didn't speak English and gave me the benefit of the doubt. Um, He gave me the benefit of the doubt that I could do the work, that I could learn English, and that I could rise up to the challenge that she set. So she made a deal with me and she said, I'm going to come before school, I'm going to stay after school, and all you have to do is show up and I will teach you English. And for two years during my junior and my senior year, that's what she did. Um, By the end of my junior year, um, I was able to hold a conversation, not a perfect one, but a conversation. And by the end of my senior year, I was um, applying to college. And it, it was a huge lesson on, on the importance of paying it forward um, and really um, raising your hand and letting people help you uh, along the way. I think the second um, challenge um, that I remember was the fact that I was undocumented. Um, And at that time, not many people knew of my legal status because my dad had instilled the fear of God in all of us. Um, At any given time, I was afraid that somebody was going to deport us um, because that is what, um, what we talked about at the dinner table all the time. And it didn't come to a head until I applied for college. I started giving, you know, getting acceptances from colleges all around the state of California. Most every single school I applied to go to, I got in. Thanks to Miss Lockett, who, you know, worked with me on the applications, w- worked with me on my personal essay, you know, put me in touch with recruiters. Um, However, when schools found out that I was undocumented, uh, they started rescinding uh, my acceptances. And to give you some context, all of this happened at the height of the anti-immigrant movement in California. It was during the time of Proposition 187, during the time when Governor Pete Wilson had introduced legislation banning immigrants from you know, getting basic medical care from being in schools, from obtaining driver's licenses. So my wanting to go to school (laughs) became a symbol of what um, the pro and anti-immigrant movement was in California. So before long, newspapers were debating whether or not I should get to go to college And you had elected officials, including the governor, arguing that I should not be allowed in school because people like me would not make it past the first semester. Thankfully, um, there was a coalition of Latino leaders and elected officials and civil rights advocates that helped me and advocated on my behalf and they worked this back-end deal with the university of california and i started at uc davis um, largely because um, that university began um, school later than any other they, um, that was the school that I was able to get into because by the time all of these back-end deals were worked out, all of the other schools had started except for, for UC Davis. So I started UC Davis uh, as an engineering major, not speaking very much English, um, knowing that I had this responsibility to make it past my first semester of school because I had heard from so many people that I wouldn't. And that um, became uh, just a a benchmark and a milestone um, that I self-imposed because I knew how much people had fought for me to give me that opportunity. Um, But also, uh, I didn't want um, to prove anyone right. So every semester, I would make it a goal to get through the following semester and the following semester until I eventually graduated from college.
0: I can definitely resonate with taking it semester by semester and even day by day. What's a lesson you learned by going to college?
1: Um, I mean, many, many lessons, but I think the biggest one is about asking for help. Um, we um, are part of a village and People are predisposed to lend you a helping hand if you allow that help to come your way. Um, And it's scary to open yourself up, um, not just because, you know, you want to prove that you know better, that you can do better, that you can succeed on your own, um, but also because you don't want to be disappointed um, by the people around you. But what I found very early on is that, Every time I felt stuck, it was worse if I didn't raise my hand and asked for help. Um, And I saw that throughout my college years. Um, Every little bit... Um, of help that I got from people around me pushed me forward, and it was especially important when um, you felt like you couldn't go forward on your own. So I um, I would encourage um, any first generation college student, every college student, to never ever ever hesitate raising their hand and, and asking for help because. 9.9% of the time, uh, you're going to be pleasantly surprised.
0: School definitely got easier for me as I started asking more for help. So I'll second a piece of advice. Not only did you get your undergraduate degree, but you also went to grad school at Harvard. Can you tell us more about that process?
1: You know, on my in my junior year um, of college, um, I became a Woodrow Wilson Fellow um, and got to spend uh, the summer at the LBJ School of Public Policy. Uh, Up until that point, I thought I was going to pursue a career in science. Um, But when I got to LBJ, um, I learned about the intersection of policy with uh, the lives of different communities, including the the, the immigrant community. And I, um, I wanted to have an impact. I wanted to pay it forward. And I, um, I became very uh, interested in the world of public policy. Wood- the Woodrow Wilson Fellowship uh, was life-changing for me because it gave me a full ride to any graduate school um, I wanted to go to as long as I got in. So... In my senior year, as I was applying to school, uh, I asked for um, letters of recommendation to se- you know, from several of my professors, and uh, one of them asked me, where are you applying to? And I, I listed the schools that I wanted to go to, and he said, well, why aren't you applying to Harvard? And I was like, well, because I don't know if I'll get in. And um, he said, Irma... You do not take yourself out of the running. You fight for what it is that you want. So I am not going to give you a letter of recommendation unless I see Harvard on this list. And that's how I ended up uh, applying um, to the to Harvard University. Uh, I remember sharing with my parents that I was applying to go to Harvard, and um, they obviously didn't know much about the university um, at that time. Um, To them, it would be better uh, for me to be at the local community college down the street because it meant that they would have their daughter next to them, right? Um, but once I told them about Harvard, they started telling their friends, and their friends made such a big deal about the fact that I the, that I was applying to Harvard that that got my parents really, really excited. Um, and it wasn't long before they started, you know, asking me whether or not I had heard from Harvard and, you know, getting excited about visiting Boston and really, really, um, really encouraged about the fact that so many past Mexican presidents had gone to Harvard um, and so many important people um, had gone to Harvard and really hoping that their daughter, you know, would make it there. And I remember um, I remember the day that I got my acceptance letter, I called my dad who was working at um, at, at Sears um in um the appliances department with the tools and the wrenches um he picked up the phone and he um he's like Mija uh, he I think he thought there was a problem because he wasn't expecting my call and all I said um to him was papi me aceptaron daddy i got in and i heard silence so I thought the line had cut. Uh, I, I didn't know exactly what was going on. Um, what I didn't realize then was that when he heard that from me, um, he started crying. And when he started crying, uh, people started crowding around him. There was a group of about 20 folks trying to help my dad because he couldn't stop crying. Eventually, his boss came and picked up the phone and he said, what happened? Is everything okay? You know, what's going on? So I shared with my dad's boss that I had gotten into Harvard and my dad's boss then turned to the crowd of people surrounding my dad and said his daughter just got into Harvard and all of the people started cheering for my dad. I share this story because that was what my parents wanted when we came to this country. My dad wanted to make sure that I would be okay. And to him, when I told him that I got into Harvard, it was the culmination of just so much struggle and heartache and um, effort um, that I think it was an overwhelming release. Uh, and I was so grateful that I was able to give that gift to him.
0: That's a beautiful story. And I think it speaks to the significance of what it means for us to live up to our parents' expectations. How is grad school different from your undergrad experience?
1: Well, you know, what was funny is that by the time I got to grad school, I had learned English. So it was a completely different experience than undergrad um, largely because I just understood the world a lot better. I um, I was able to communicate and make friends. Like the pressures of being undocumented were no longer there. Um, we had achieved um, permanent status, you know, um, I think my sophomore year in college. So I was able to have the college experience that I never had. In college, uh, I made lifelong friends um, that I still keep in touch with today. Um, but more importantly, I um, I was so eager um, to take advantage of everything and anything uh, that that Boston and Harvard and my friends had to offer um, that um, I enjoyed it. To the fullest, I took like a bajillion classes each semester. Um, I tried everything. I was taking classes about, you know, a media and race, and and then on the other hand, statistics and international development. I was taking a class on organizational dynamics, on civil rights, um, and it really opened my eyes um, to. a a, a very different experience, but more importantly, the world of, of possibility. I knew then that I could do and be whoever I wanted to be. Um, if I put my mind to it, uh, and I, um, I'm very grateful for the opportunity that I had, um, you know, while in in graduate school and and the lessons that I learned um, along the way.
0: It's so interesting to hear that transition you experienced from undergrad to grad school. It certainly can be a more focused and rewarding experience. Moving forward, what did you do after grad school?
1: Sure. You know, after graduate school, um, I started a career in corporate finance, Um, not purposefully, uh, if I'm being completely honest, but rather because I needed to send money home. And I knew that if I went into the private sector, I would be able to help my parents with their mortgage payments. Uh, And I would be able to put money aside for my siblings who are about to start college. So I chose that path um, out of expediency, really. But in- soon I realized that I was running on a treadmill with nowhere to go. And I began feeling restless um, and started thinking about uh, what I really wanted uh, about, you know, from my career. Uh, Around that time, I got married uh, to an amazing man uh, who I adore. And uh We moved um, to a loft in San Francisco and were um, living a very yuppie life. Um, But then my father got diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And we realized very quickly that uh, both my mom and my dad needed to come live with us. And more importantly, that we couldn't live in a loft in San Francisco. We needed to be more practical about their health care, more practical about the accommodations that we needed to put in place to take care of them, and more practical about the types of jobs that we we needed to have to start a family. So long story short, um, we ended up moving to South Texas. Um, This is where my husband grew up, Um, but... He left right after high school, so moving to South Texas was a new thing for him and for me, but it was the best thing for my parents uh, because healthcare was bilingual. Down here, it was a slower pace of life, and um, they were able to enjoy their time together and the time my dad had left um, in an environment that they could easily navigate of course that also meant that the job that I had at the time, which was with general motors, um, was not practical anymore. I couldn't be traveling around the country, um, doing the work that I was doing, uh, because I now had parents to take care of. Um, and I was about to start a family of my own. So I, um, I quit my job and, uh, By chance, uh, I ran into an old friend of mine who was working for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and uh, she realized I was in South Texas and gave me a chance. We started um, a new initiative um, in the Rio Grande Valley, uh, and that was a good transition period between my life in the corporate world and um, what would be my new career, Uh, Eventually, um, she introduced me to IDEA Public Schools. Um, I never in a million years thought that I would be in education. That was never an aspiration of mine. I never thought that I would work for a school system. I never thought uh, that, um, that what I'm doing today is the career that I would have. But once I was introduced to IDEA, I saw myself. In our kids, and I saw my parents and my parents' dreams in the families that IDEA serves. Um, and what started off as a pit stop while I figured out what to do with the rest of my life has turned into 12 years of incredible work um, and a home, a home I didn't even know back then that I was looking for. So uh, it's been um, a really interesting journey getting to IDEA, um, but uh, a really amazing one um, as well. What do I do at IDEA? Um, I lead most of the non-instructional work uh, for the organization. So Everything from marketing and communications to IT, to construction, to buses and cafeterias and custodial services um, and front office support and security, um, all of the things that, um, that make a, a, a school function. Um, so, and my job, as I explain it, is to eliminate every obstacle that can get in the way of student achievement. So if I and my team are doing a good job, we are letting the teachers teach and we are letting the leaders lead so that our kids can make it to college um, when they graduate from high school.
0: You brought up a lot of important points about navigating life after school. It's a good reminder for us to think about how our parents and family fit into our life once we're on our own. And then you touch on your role with IDEA Public Schools. What do you think has been your biggest challenge in this
1: role? Yeah, I, I think that uh, one of the values I learned from my dad, and I learned from all the people that have helped me um, along the way, uh, is um, too much is given, much is expected, um, and I feel like throughout my life, um, and especially my life in America, um, I've received a lot of kindness. And a lot of guidance and a lot of generosity from perfect strangers to people that have become um, part of my family, even though they're not blood related. Uh, And that is what I try to do every day in the job that I have. Um, I I have a responsibility um, to make sure that that we um, perform excellently because I know what that could mean. Um, for student achievement and academic progress for the communities that we serve, and I, uh, I, I know that at the same time, I have, I think, twenty three hundred employees under my care um, that didn't go to college for the most part, that are hourly employees that may have sons and daughters in our schools and are trying to make a living. Um, so, figuring out. Um, how to balance those two goals, Um, sometimes um, it's difficult. Um, I mean, the the, the most recent example that I can give you is what's been happening during the pandemic. Um, Last March, we closed our schools uh, because it was unsafe to continue with in-person learning. But I had to ask our cafeteria staff and our transportation staff um, to continue providing meals. 89% of our kids um, are considered low income. Two thirds of them get their meals from school. So I knew that if we didn't keep providing meals to our families, our kids would suffer. And asking our cafeteria staff, and our transportation staff to take a leap of faith and to continue working and continue being out in the community was incredibly difficult because at the same time we were telling everyone else to stay home. But one of the most inspiring things that I've experienced in my lifetime was seeing how precisely Um, The most marginalized groups in our community respond during times of crises. And our cafeteria staff and our transportation staff were no different. Bus drivers and cafeteria workers would make home deliveries. Um, They would stand in parks to distribute meals. They would, on the curbside of our schools, be ready and willing for passerby cars to pick up meals um, that were warm and nutritious, and that um, is uh, is something that I, I think is going to keep inspiring me for the rest of my life because um, through this incredible um, contentious time uh, and through all that we all collectively have had to deal with, there were these bright lights um, of people that decided that they were going to continue paying it forward, and they did. So there's no, there's no um, arguing against your, um, your ability to help. There is always, always something that you can do um, something positive, um, that you can do to impact the life of others. And, um, and I've learned that in so many ways, but most recently, you know, by just seeing our cafeteria staff and our transportation staff live through the pandemic.
0: That's a really good point about the importance of collaborating and doing good for the sake of doing good, which brings me to my last question. What led you to become a board member for How to College First Gen?
1: Well, I think the world of Norma. um, I'm hoping that one day she hires me to work for her because I know she's going to do incredibly amazing things. Uh, I think what what led me to become a board member is because I want to continue paying it forward. I had so many people help me. Um, along the way while I was getting into college and through college that I want to make it a little bit easier um, for the next generation. I am now a mom. I have two kids. And uh, despite all the blessings that my family has and how many advantages my kids have, I see firsthand how hard it is um, to stay on track um, and to really make sure that you're dotting the I's and crossing the T's so that you can eventually get to college. So I can't imagine how hard this process is, you know, when you don't have access to, um, you know, consistent internet, when you don't have computers at your disposal, when you have to have one or two jobs to help your family, you know, with you know, living expenses, when you have to commute two or three hours to get to high school, when your parents don't want to let you go um, to school because that means living away from home, Um, if we can provide a little bit of help and if we can pave the way so that more kids have access to what they deserve, sign me up. I will do this every day, every hour, any way that I can, because that's what was done for me.
0: The story you shared here reminds me of a saying, as you climb, reach back. Before we go, do you have any more advice that you want to share with our listeners?
1: I would say that everyone can do more than they give themselves credit for allowing yourself to just consider the possibilities is going to get you very, very far. Even when the world is coming at you and telling you differently, you knowing that with focus and perseverance and grit and determination, you can reach the most loftiest of goals um, is really important to hold true. I I know, that that it's hard um, to stay true to yourself um, when there's so many challenges around you. But I also know that raising your hand and allowing people to be kind and generous, which is a natural instinct of everyone, um, is going to propel you forward. Um, But if you don't believe in yourself and stay true to yourself, the help that comes your way either explicitly or implicitly uh, is not gonna be recognized by you. So I I would challenge every student um, to stay true to themselves, um, to believe in their power um, and to be open um, to accepting the help that will prepare, propel them forward.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your time with us, Irma. We really appreciate it.
1: Daniel and thank you, thank you so much for um, being involved with this organization for doing so much for the next generation, but more importantly for paying it forward.
0: Thank you all for listening to this episode of How to College Christian. I hope you were able to learn some valuable lessons from hearing Irma's story. For me, I really appreciated hearing her talk about the importance of asking for help, believing in yourself, and giving back when you can. Please remember to follow us on social media and share how college has shaped your identity. Also, don't forget to leave us a review whenever you listen to our podcast. Remember that you're not alone in this journey. Until then, next time.